to this episode of Nursing Edge Unscripted, Saga, where we journey through the history of nursing education using stories that connect the past to the present and then our future as we reimagine our teaching and learning. In our last episode, we celebrated the June birthday of organized nursing in the United States on June 15th, 16th, and 17th in 1893 at the Chicago World's Fair, 16 superintendents of training schools for nurses met to form the American Society of Superintendents of Training Schools for Nurses, referred to as the Society. Part one of the story of that monumental gathering told the saga of how that humble beginning shaped a new world of reform and professionalism for nursing practice and education. This is part two of that story with a focus on how the emergence of the National League of Nursing Education in 1912 and its subsequent iteration as the National League for Nursing in 1952 created a preferred future for nursing education in the U.S. To fully understand the transformation of nursing education following the origin of the society, let's go back to 1897 at the fourth annual meeting of the society when Isabel Hampton, now Isabel Hampton Robb, set a standard for leadership and engagement of educational leaders. She declared that the position of superintendent of nurses requires a woman of executive ability, education, tact, refinement, keen perceptions, and sound knowledge of current practice. She acknowledged that a woman might possess these qualities and still be at a disadvantage when undertaking her first school due to lack of preparation for teaching. This idea was revolutionary to combine knowledge acquisition and scholarship with practical learning, especially in an age when women's work was not valued and the moral integrity of nurses' work was not fully established. To balance theory with practice in an emerging yet embryonic nursing curricula would require specialized teacher training. To meet this challenge, the society formed an education committee led by Mary Adelaide Nutting. Together, she and Isabel Hampton Robb were a force. They set out to find a university to prepare superintendents to teach. This was another extraordinary moment in the history of nursing education. Women, especially nurses, did not go to college. Yet the course in hospital economics began at Teachers College, Columbia University in 1899. The partnership with Teachers College paved the way for new thinking about the education of nurses. Although it was clear that a training school could not exist without a hospital, it became apparent that affiliation with universities was a better way to prepare their students. The society looked forward to the day when nursing education was situated within the university. In 1930, at the 36th Annual Convention of the National League of Nursing Education, Annie Goodrich spoke to the delegates seven years after she assumed the position of Yale University's inaugural dean. Quote, we must require of our women in the future two languages, the language of the people and the language of science, unquote. 
She recognized the need for caring, cleanliness, discipline, and ethical comportment, but she asked faculty to fully embrace science as a core principle of nursing theory. Today, we take for granted scholarship and evidence-based practice as central to quality nursing practice. In 1930, this idea was revolutionary. By 1930, so much had been accomplished. Most programs were three years in length and the curriculum had been modified to reflect emerging specialties. In 1917, the first standard curriculum was developed by the Education Committee under Adelaide Nutting. It was revised in 1927 and curriculum guidelines were developed in 1937 by the National League of Nursing Education, also referred to as NLNE. There were laws regulating the practice of nursing on the statute books of most states. The society, and now the NLNE, had led a movement to reform healthcare by bringing excellence and integrity to nursing education. By the middle of the 20th century, the NLNE issued a series of recommendations calling for nursing education to be placed in universities and colleges and for men and minorities to be recruited into nursing schools. In 1952, at the National League of Nursing Education Historic Convention in Atlantic City, New Jersey, the organization dissolved itself to combine with the National Organization of Public Health Nursing and the Association for Collegiate Schools of Nursing to form the National League for Nursing, recognizing the need to surface the collective power of nurses to affect change and leverage educational and social reform. That same year, through the assistance of the NLN and ANA, the National Student Nurses Association, or NSNA, was formed dedicated to being the voice of the future nursing workforce. In summary, during the early days of the society, despite the need to accommodate to the political realities of the time, educational standards were put in place, suitable criteria for quality leading to accreditation were established, and affiliation with university schools to nurture pedagogical expertise were realized. And just as our early leaders banded together to reform nursing education and create a preferred future for the nursing profession, as members of the NLN today, we look to the future with determination and optimism. For more information about the history of the NLN, please visit the NLN archives at the Barbara Bates Center for the Study of the History of Nursing at the University of Pennsylvania. Additionally, go to the About section on the NLN website and look for the link to the history of the NLN. And so the saga continues today. And may our saga continue as we bring to a close this episode of Nursing Edge Unscripted, Saga. Thank you for joining us. And remember, good teaching doesn't just happen. Find your fit, push the boundaries, and celebrate the ahas. <laughs>